Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi guys, welcome to The Hardline. My name's Lucy and I'm here with my three guests today, Ed, Kim and Ryan. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Kim, if we start with you. Hi, I'm Kim Johnson. I'm from Cavalry Rugby Club. Uh, my main role there is as head coach of the women's team. But like many people within rugby clubs, I do have my fingers in a lot of pies. So, uh, But my main interest is in girls and women's rugby. Fantastic. Hi, I'm Ed Marsh. I'm Director of Rugby and Head Coach at Mitchell and Cartwells and Rugby Club. And part of my remit is to look after the development of the women's game. Brilliant. Hi, uh, I'm Ryan from Beck Old Boys and Beck Bells. I'm the club captain there and I help manage the Bells team. Fantastic. Um, I'm going to run through some particular themes today with with a big overarching theme of so why you started a women's team. All all three clubs are relatively new or, or slightly further down in their journey. Um, Kim, what was the decision after having such such a strong men's team and strong minis team? What was the decision when you started out to start a women's team? Why? Well, actually, Camberley um, have a quite a long history of women's and girls rugby, um, which over the last probably 10 years, with the uptake, which is brilliant, um, of new clubs and, you know, the influx of numbers that we've seen, um, there just wasn't really the people within the club to, to continue it. So, sadly, our senior women's team and our girls' teams faded out. And then I stepped in. <laughs> and what year did you start start back up? Oh, we're we're a pioneering club, way <laughs> way, way way back in the nineties, nineteen nineties. Um, and that's where the, my introduction to rugby actually was just as a favour. I was a bar uh, bar woman, bar lady um, at the local rugby club. My bar manager was absolutely desperate to get her boots on and join the guys, so to speak, on the field. I was. Uh, a captain of a women's pool team. I got my pool team to come along on an open day. Two of us stayed. And to be honest, the rest is just history. I've had a playing <laughs> career and a coaching career. And with that introduction to rugby has actually just given me just the, you know, the best times of my life. And it's just something I'm very passionate about passing forward onto the next generation of women and girls. Fantastic. So joining the, the networks that you've created with both both Ed and Ryan as part of that sort of Surrey group. Ryan, you're slightly further along your journey than, say, Mitchum and Carl Salton. What was the reason for, for Beck to start a women's team? Um, it, we didn't we didn't essentially set out, have a meeting and say we want to start a women's team. I think we, we've been always quite um, an open social club anyway. And it was a bit really su supply and demand. We had um, girls that said they wanted to train with us, and we've always been open to that. Um, and uh, as things moved on, um, we got a few more women training with us, and we were approached by the university, and they asked if they could join our training sessions as well. And it's just snowballed from there, really. Mm -hmm. That is it. And, and Ed, 
tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, so MNC is going through a bit of a renaissance at the moment, really. Um, we used to have uh, over 250 people at the club many years ago. Um, that used to include women. Um, but over the years, you know, that, that fell away for whatever reason. Uh, so as the men's side started to grow, we just saw an opportunity to start getting women involved in the club. And we, we still had good local connections with some of the former juniors. And it's just starting to snowball now. Um, and we're getting, we're just starting to see existing players move into the area or move to the club. Great news as well as people who have literally never played before uh, at all. Uh, and we just put it all around the one club policy. So women's rugby is treated exactly the same as men. Um, same coaching, same, same support, same facilities. But we want to make sure that women's rugby is not an afterthought. It's absolutely paramount worth that it's completely equal to men's. That brings me on to a, a very strong point. And, and Ryan, actually, I'll raise this with you um, just because I know Beck very well. What are the learnings you can take from the men's squad when starting the women's side? What sort of did you learn in that process? Um, well, we recently, before the women's had um, exploded as it has recently, um, about a year beforehand, we had a similar thing happened with the men's where if we went back a few years ago, we may have, if we were lucky, 15 men down at training. Um, and that changed to upwards of 50. Mm -hmm. So it was a real, real boom there. Um, and, and that real boom um, showed that there was quite a variation of levels of people at training. And we found that um, our approach was attractive to people who had never played before. Uh, that really worked um, for starting the women's team as well, because it's similar to Ed, we had this approach of everyone can join in, every, everyone is treated the same, there, there, is, there aren't different levels. Um, and that has come at, with um, some um, hurdles as well, where you, you do have some of the um, first team players or aspirational first team players that get frustrated. And we, we've had to do other things in training to work those things out as well. Cool. Um, Kim, I'd love to hear from you what, because being sort of more established than both Beck and, and Mitchum, how have you found that journey of the women's team in starting it back in the 90s? It must have been quite an experience having, you know, because rugby isn't the same as it was now. No, absolutely not. And I just need to clarify there. Our, our first team started in one of those pioneering years of the 90s. Then there was a void of almost seven years. Um, and so what we have now, which is our Camberley cocktail team, is the rebirth, the re-establishment of a women's team. So we've, I'm, Camberley are very much in our developing, um, you know, grassroots level. Um, mm -hmm. So exactly the same as, as what the guys are saying, actually. The, it was all about supply and demand. The club was asking for somebody to come step forward. As we all know, it's a big commitment. Um, the situation um, arose that I was able to to say yes um, with some my fellow coach Liz Frost, who her passion and enthusiasm for all things rugby completely overshines mine. 
Um, and then it was a case of really like gathering up the sideline mums um, as a starting point, starting with touch, um, word of mouth, development, getting the people there and very much just facilitating the, what the, the girls, the women that were turning up wanted. Mm-hmm. So whether, you know, so we, we started very much with just non-contact rugby and then as numbers developed and people were being attracted to us through rug, for rugby Pacific, the age demographic changed, what people were expecting changed, and therefore we kind of we now morphed into a contact side. Fantastic. And there's, you know, growing a side isn't easy going from no. having one person interest to then having 10 to 20 to 30. What process have you gone through at Mitchum and Carsalton to, to get through those stages and those sort of jumps? Cry myself to sleep. <laughs> it's quite a regular thing. Um, I think it, for me, it, it probably runs quite similar to, so when I turned up at the club, um, I think the club was about 92 years old when I turned up and there's about six guys left at the club total. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I instigated and we've now got 90 guys on the books, 90 girls and guys, it's incredible. But one of the first things I did as I, I just really instilled, you've got to train because we'd have so many new people come down and they'd be full men and a dog and they wouldn't come back. Mm-hmm. So really getting people to commit is a big focus for me because I think it was just last week we had our we had a great training session and the girls loved it and I just reiterated it's because there's so many of you here tonight we can do more it's more exciting and the new girls loved it desperate to come back so for me there's always a threshold you you get over that 15 to 20 and then it starts rolling naturally it's that you know I remember night one with seven or eight six seven girls down and it kind of goes like this and, you know, those cold nights where there's four of you and it's like, oh, what are we doing? But you just got to persevere. You've got to believe in the process. Um, you've got to put, and I think what we're quite good at is we'll put everything in place. So we'll have all the staff, all the facilities. We will put it there for you. So you just turn up and have a great time. Um, and I think it's it's just coming up to where the point where it's going to go over now which is exciting, but uh, it's it's hard work. It's been it's been brutally hard work, harder than the men's because the men's you have you have the you know, we, we have full fixture list for the first, the second the development side with the women's. You know, it's we might have a touch game in six months time is starting mm-hmm. point. So what's what's at the end of the road? Um, so as you move along that, you can create more opportunity for them and they can see more coming their way because some of the girls as I, you know as guys know brand new never picked up a rugby ball in their lives and that there might be 20 there might be 35 and some of them have been playing rugby since they were now you get girls who turn up yeah i've been playing for 10 years i'm, I'm 23 so it's like mm-hmm. brilliant um so the different levels as well make it more uh complex complex in how we we treat it but um yeah it's 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 trying to to roll up everything into that one club policy and just trying to get them to buy in and, and suddenly you have a senior leadership group, suddenly you have a captain, so and it becomes a, a thing. Mm-hmm. They turn up, they're all wearing the same kit. It becomes a you know a living and there is a club there. It's not an idea, it's not a it's not a a plan, it's it's there. 
-hmm. uh, and they take ownership and that's really important you see the girls start to take ownership of it themselves and i think that is a, another big sort of tick in the box for me is okay we're starting to roll mm -hmm. and how do you ryan how do you build that resilience in those early stages when the numbers are so small you know and it can be quite frustration how as a coaching team do you build resilience to to keep going um well, I think the main one is perseverance and positivity. And I imagine we've all been through that. Um, and it's, uh, it's you know, to believe that it is going to grow. Because at that point, I, I imagine there, there are probably doubts that people do go, oh, is there any point, you know, if there's four of you? Um, but uh, as all of us sitting here, we know it was worth it. Um, so... To, to believe to believe in it and go forward and um I, I think I was even to even the numbers up I think I was the eighth person just so we had four <laughs> on four you know so so they, they, there was things like that <laughs> yeah I can see both your faces we've all done it um so yeah. it, it was the belief and then you look back and um I, I've stood there with the other coaches and we went there's 33 here tonight we could do 15 on 15 uh, and the shock when it all of a sudden happens um, and it really is a snowball it because um, as Ed said that the importance of having people at training the, it, yeah. the more people show up the, the more worthwhile it is the more things you can do mm -hmm. um, yeah that's I suppose there's some belief really mm. it's that big match 22 isn't it where the more people turn up and they go, oh, we're not doing enough exciting stuff, especially those who have played before. And you're going, I know, but if you don't come back, I don't have to recruit more. And it's trying to move the whole ship forward and just getting people to buy in and stay. So you get to that magical point where you go, the light bulbs go off and you can see them going, brilliant. This is this yeah. is it. Yeah, and Kim, what was the biggest hurdle that you faced when when you sort of resurrected the women's side? Um, ours was, uh, to be honest, I think our, our biggest hurdle was actually the logistics within the club, getting the the space to to actually deliver what we needed to as the um, as the team grew. As the guys have just said, uh, I would actually say eight is the magic number. When you got to eight, it was like four on four. We can actually, you know, kind of have a, 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 you know, a decent competitive game. And as we grew, obviously, we needed more areas, um, you know, a bigger area to train in. Um, it's all worked out. It just, just meant a bit of compromise and talking within the club. Um, I think that's in-house, outside. It's the recruitment side of it. Women and girls rugby has just grown exponentially. Oh my goodness, you know, I mean, fabulous. But mm -hmm. I mean, for uh, for me, our nearest seven clubs all have women's team. Our nearest uh, four clubs, uh, which are all in a five-mile radius, all have a women's team. Mm -hmm. And m luckily, um, they're, we're all at fairly different stages of development. Although there is, there's a, a few of us. So it's that recruitment, you know, what what is going to make Camberley different? What is our niche? Why why would people want to, you know, just go the extra two miles or a different direction to come to us? 
Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's and that's not that's an ongoing. You know, recruitment is ongoing in women and girls rugby. We don't have the numbers. We don't have that depth. Um, you know, that the the male game. You know, is fortunate to have. So it's it's that continuous recruitment, word of mouth. What you know, bringing them back. What are we doing? What's fun? What's you know mm-hmm. that what what are what's going what's the draw? So it's you know it's the same things across all sports. But I think, yeah, for women's rugby, it, it's a lot more challenging. Absolutely. And on that point of recruiting, how have you found, uh, Mitchum and Beck, how have you found the recruiting process? Because, again, a bit like what, what Kim has said, you're in a in, in sort of in London, in central London, where everything's a bit more fluid. And certainly myself, when I've tried to find a rugby club or if I've even supported recruiting, retaining someone knowing that, particularly with Beck, you've got a club that's 100 metres down the road from you. How have you found recruiting in in that kind of competitive environment? Um, Well, it's been mostly on social media. Um, uh, Tag rugby has been huge for Mm. us really as well. Um, Word of mouth. um, Beck, as as the men's club, have played always... I think for the last maybe nine to 10 years had a mixed team um, in tag rugby. Um, So we've had some connections there. Um, There is, we're used to being a very transient club. People tend to join us having moved to London. So we're we're geared up for that. We're ready. We we understand that people will come and go. Um, We also will, try not to book fixtures in on a bank holiday weekend because we know everyone's going home to see mum, dad or whoever else because they're not actually from London. Um, uh, it's also accepting that uh, I suppose every player isn't isn't maybe destined to be at your club. Mm-hmm. Um, and And although we'd love to have the best players ever, um to actually say look maybe we should get in contact with another team because you you should go on you know you you Mm -hmm. might you might be uh do better somewhere else here um and even uh accepting that someone needs to find the right place i I know ed and i have been in contact recently and we, we we have someone that's training with both of us um until she she finds the club that she wants to be in um I, I think it's different. It's understanding. Uh, I think we, we certainly are in a slightly different scenario to Camberley, where um, where you 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 have more of a fixed location, and it's more likely that people are going to stay. We we have people joining us, and and they've gone. Oh no, I moved to another city. I'm gone. Um, and um, it's not to be not to be upset by it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I agree from, from OC. I think we work on a, I work on a ratio of about four to one. So every four people that get in contact, um, three will turn up and eventually one will end up being a steadfast player. Yeah, mm-hmm. one, one will drift away, one will come once. Yeah, it, it's the same with the men's. You you get you get the drift in London. Um, I think we've worked really hard in our local community. So some of the cool players are we just tapped up to start with, right? men get your girlfriends down that that mm-hmm. was one, one day one get get your sisters down get your mums down let's get this ship 
started um and get it going but but you come up against all kinds of things i i, I had one <laughs> the night the night we started um i messaged all the girls who said yeah i'm coming i'm coming i'm coming and uh one of them repl- one of them replied said yeah i'll be there this was the day before on the day i chased up those who hadn't been oh you couldn't come you know some no i decided it's not for me one go- one person said um oh I um I went back to university in Stoke. So yesterday you told me you were coming to train it. <laughs> so you have to you have to just you know people people will will forget do their own thing. People are reliable, some are unreliable. Uh, but but yeah, you know like Beck, social media, word of mouth, um, trying to make it a real destination uh, club. So we're trying to put on as much as we can at the club uh with our facilities and and it's somewhere mm-hmm. where people we get we, we're starting to see the percentage tick up now of people who turn up stay uh across the board uh because suddenly they go wow your facilities are brilliant hopefully mm-hmm. um we you know the events are great it's it's a it's a destination club uh if you, if you know what i mean so mm-hmm. even for in on the edge of london uh it's somewhere you know you've got to travel to it's not kind of two minutes from the tube station somewhere um but that destination uh aspect is definitely coming into play now people people want to travel and we get people from all over the, uh the south coming to us now and, and once you've got them in you've got to retain them and mm. it sounds to me like you've now established quite a core center of girls that are regularly turning up how do you keep those particular individuals kind of involved and excited and and sort of continuing to keep them engaged yeah I, th- I think as mentioned earlier just start to replicate for me under the one club policy suddenly give them ownership so the core girls senior leadership group start appointing captains women's club captain uh start sort of putting giving women um subcommittee memberships on the committee just to start slowly building them through the fabric of the club and promoting them um and it, it they just take ownership um and they start to they start to really get involved and i've seen four or five of them and i say there's four or five of you now next year there'll be 10 or 12 of you that are absolutely running the ship um and there'll be 30 40 of you so just slowly giving them ownership and letting them run with it just like just like the guy's side you know absolute parity on positions and all that jazz and mm-hmm. just really making sure they feel it's their club uh it's their it's their team their squad their training um let them make decisions about small things uh and, and big things as well you know everything from picking kit to you know deciding on social events just ownership mm-hmm. fantastic Obviously, we're we're now sort of slowly coming out of a pandemic and games are becoming a bit more attainable for all of us. And I know Beck and Cambly have got one set up very soon. So once we've got these players now coming to training and we're building the squad, we've obviously now got to prepare them for a game. and We've got to get them ready for actually playing rugby. How have Cambly and, and Beck prepared the teams for, for the games coming up? And also, how have you gone about getting those games in the schedule? Uh, well, we've, at Camberley, we've, we've, we've actually stayed together throughout the whole of the season. Every, mm-hmm. every Wednesday, Wednesday's training day. So 
when we've been allowed to be on the field, we've been on the field. When we haven't, we've been online. Um, we This would have been our first year in, as a league team. So uh, we were kind of at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so our preparation has kind of already started from about January online. Very new to all of us. We kind of started delivering rugby Pacific. So videos, you know, mm-hmm. team chats, bite size, um, analysis, not, you know, at our level, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, YouTube is fantastic. <laughs> and so is Steve. Um, and then, you know, we'd be back on the field for, what, three weeks. So, actually, we haven't done any contact yet. I'm very, very aware of, um, you know, injury pre- prevention is actually a top priority. Um, yeah. Equally, and it's really interesting uh, the cat, the, the different personalities, um, and what their uh, feelings and attitude is to coming back. You know, um, a lot of nerves, mm-hmm. a lot of hesitation. So generally, um, this time for us at Camberley, we are facilitating rugby to the individual. For those that want to wrap up the season, non-contact, continue with ready for rugby ball handling mm-hmm. skills, obviously we can still do unit stuff, but um, maybe even bag work, but not body on body. That okay. is completely fine. And then for those diehards, I signed up for con- you know, contact, give me that bag, <laughs> I've got my gum shield. And there's quite a few, you know, there's a number of them, not as many as you would think, you know, then we're, we're starting now to, you know, actually prepare them for the possibility of contact games in May. So our fixture secretary, as soon as the, you know, gov.com announced uh, what what was uh, we were going to be allowed to do, uh, we contacted. We basically, actually, um, just reaffirmed um, games that we'd had scheduled back in November. Okay. So we contacted the teams that we knew are of our level, people that we like, like old Bex Bells, fabulous <laughs> team. Uh, you know, with very similar personalities, similar development level. Um, and then we've just put fixtures in. Um, mm-hmm. Those fixtures will actually be played according to the mood, the tone of the players and obviously the opposition and whatever that is, that's the way that we'll play it. It's a case of rounding up the season properly and then easing everybody in and, you know, getting our boots on properly going forward, I think, for September. Right now, it's just, let's just ease out, just make sure mm-hmm. everyone's happy. Have you done the same at Bells? Very similar. Um, very similar. Uh, we've, it's, uh, we, do, we have done a bit of contact. Um, I think uh, we've, we're in a, a slightly different, uh, I think we're in a slightly different position uh, with regards to our pitches. We've, um, we no longer have our pitches now. So we tried to get in what we could with all our equipment. We, lo- we lose our pitches to cricket at this time every year. So we got them back for two and a half weeks. Um, and now we are we have some uh, space rented uh, on Clapham Common in prime location, <laughs> but it's limited to what we can do there. So we had to get a, a bit of work in um, at our ground. But there are some players that, as you said, Kim, 
you know, ready. When is it true contact starting? They can't wait because it's been so, so long. Um, and then there are some players that are, are still a bit nervous. Um, so uh, I, I think very similar to Kim, we're, we're in, we're in a, a good place there. We, we don't, we don't have the luxury of having our grounds though. So we have, we had to speed things up a bit. Mm-hmm. And coming through that preparation and playing the games, however long this season ends up being before we then go into pre-season, we're obviously looking at league structures. And with that, I know Bells are going into an inner warrior and so are Camberley. Kim, do you want to tell us a little bit more about uh, the no. inner warrior camp that yeah, you're, I, you're I, running? I think Ryan's going to say, sorry, Lucy, to <laughs> I'll let you say It's going to say the same thing. There's been a little restructure over the season. Mm. Um, and basically, it's been a, uh, the RFU have now reinstated NC3. So um, they took away NC3 and introduced the Inner Warrior series, which obviously um, was uh, to help ease and develop brand new sides. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Inner Warrior series is, is still going to continue, but I'm sure I, I just saw Ryan's face on the <laughs> that, like us, we're now going to be going into an NC3 league um, going uh, come September 2021. Well, we've requested, we haven't been uh, told yet that we will, but I think the 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 teams that we saw that were in that Inner Warriors series, mm-hmm. it, it was, to, to me, it was clearly looked like a league anyway. Um, uh, and seeing the other teams that um, we'd met many of them actually at one of your ready for rugby tournaments. Yeah, yeah. So it, it really did look, um, it, to an extent, I think they, they may have seen some sense that um, it, it, there was no reason to not call it a league. There, there's mm-hmm. obviously enough players, yeah. enough teams there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The and Ed, is that the same the for other... yourselves as well? Yeah, sorry. No, good. Uh, no, uh, we are going to look to play um, to build it very gradually. Uh, Comes mm-hmm. September, so we're not going to enter a, a, an official league, uh, but we will look to play very similar teams. Just start off with very short contact games, mm-hmm. uh, mixed in with coaching. So uh, essentially, the reverse of what we'll be doing with Ryan and, and Beck Bells, where we'll. We're gonna. They've never even played a touch game, so we're gonna play a touch game and then look to do like a joint uh, contact clinic mm-hmm. in us, and actually kind of flip that round uh, where we do a um, a joint short contact game come October time, and then do a clinic, a contact clinic as well on top of that. So just build and build and build them, and start to look around Christmas at actually playing a full game. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'll come back to to what what you the point you were going to say, Kim. Oh yeah, I was Before just going to pick up on what Ryan said about the um, the Inner Warrior Series League. It, yes, it is a league, um, but it's it's about. I mean, Ed, actually, come Christmas, it might be perfect for your girls as well. But it's it's more of a um, uh, 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 what's the word I'm trying to think of? It's kind of more of a facilitated. Mm-hmm. Um, structure so that you've got the structure of of being able to come in play get uh, teams that are similar to yourself whether that be sevens whether it be uh, cross rugby sevens whether that be tennis side 
or 12 a side. It's very much about just giving a structured um, uh, organisation um, mm -hmm. where, where new teams can come in and basically just feel where they are, you know, get their feet into, you know, what, you know, teams quite often, I mean, Ed's already um, um, touched on this, which was, you know, you get people coming to training and enjoying training, you know, they come there, you know, rugby's very social. That's, that's mm -hmm. our niche at Cambly. That's why people go past other clubs because we are, they can see that we're a very social bunch. Um, we, we take our rugby seriously, but we, we enjoy our, our off the pitch as well. Um, uh, but sometimes people just want rugby for that. You know, there's a lot of people that don't want to travel. There's people, players that aren't actually in a position to commit to a league structure. And mm -hmm. I think the Inner Warriors series um, is definitely, that's a, a great starting point for a development team. So had this year not been this year, that's where we would have started. I think given mm -hmm. the year we have, um, we've actually gained players throughout this, mm -hmm. this tricky year. And I know we're not mm -hmm. unique there. A lot of other clubs have. People are looking for that community. They're looking for the outside fitness. They're looking to do mm -hmm. things differently. Um, and again, you know, like most development sites, like Ryan and Ed was talking about earlier, um, we are a mixed bag. And I think we're just ready to actually just take it on. We're, we're ready to commit to a league structure and we have the, the players or the hardcore players that, that mm -hmm. can take it Yeah, I think this is a really important point, actually. It's, it's a problem I had with the men's two years ago when we were in Surrey Foundation. So we dropped out of the leagues because there was no one left at the club and we got ourselves together, got a team together, and in the Surrey Foundation Leagues with the men's. And I felt that from word go, half the teams were not ready to play mm. fiction. So whilst we were slugging our guts out, building a squad every Thursday, sorry guys, we can't play you on Saturday, we lost so many games. So I'd rather we had less games with teams who are ready at the right level to play that means yeah. so much more to players because we can work and work and work on building squads but if the games are cancelled every five minutes if there's huge huge mismatches it puts people off straight away so mm -hmm. it, a lot of thinking needs to go into how these leagues are run and and the timing from people like us on the call now about when to put teams into the right games or the right leagues it is absolutely pivotal especially to women's rugby development at the moment yeah and I agree. it's I hugely impactful to the growth too. as well no i was just saying it's you being able to know those league structures and understand whether it's something you yeah. you do or don't want to do is hugely impactful to the growth because you're going to get girls who will then start playing and go oh our game's been cancelled every saturday so actually retention then becomes a problem so all these things have a knock-on effect to to other parts as well a hundred percent i mean I, I said about the foundation league for the men's you know our guys wouldn't mind if you cut the league in half and played each other four times yeah. so you've guaranteed fixtures for everyone and it was properly done at the right level opposed to just trying to fill the league with teams for whatever reason when it doesn't better it really damaged us really damaged us two years ago like we lost players who didn't want to stay because there was no games mm. um it, it was a nightmare um no. so with the women's it's exactly the same we, we need to structure it really really well and there needs to be a lot of conversation with people like ryan and kim and myself about how we structure those and not mm -hmm. just be 
given the structure and said, there you go. Because we know the girls, we talk to the girls every single day. I would actually um, just jump in there, though, Ed. I, th I think there, there is, um, I think the actual women's league structure is, is quite well thought out. I think the Inner Warrior yeah. series is, is given that, you know, because we can all play friendlies anytime we want. And that's actually where, you know, we, you know, myself and Ryan, you know, it's literally just mm -hmm. like, especially with social media, throwing things out on Facebook and then, you know, word of mouth is like, oh, I hear you're having a tournament or, and, you know, come along and, and, and making sure that, that you're playing people of a similar level. Um, and then yeah. if not, you know, just confirming with the, the, the clubs that you're playing do have the same ethos. Our first playing season at, at Camberley, um, we played Newbury and was our first game, or Newbury twos, <laughs> I have to say, um, which, and we also played Surrock. Um, now, obviously, we're a development side and both of those, those teams of, you know, four or five, you know, very well established, but it was played in the right tone context you know we put parameters in beforehand if this should happen this is how we will adapt it if this mm -hmm. should happen we can uh, you know we, we can change it um and then i think it's you know with that it does actually bring on the development because you it's a little bit bookended isn't it because the other side of it is you want the players a lot of players like that a structure you know, they're looking for regular games. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just kind of finding where your team balance yeah. is. And like you say, facilitating games. Yeah. I mean, for me, I just think the same as anyone. People play rugby because they want to play. So mm -hmm. whether that is, you know, us and old bets, you know, getting together four or five times a year because we just know that we're a similar type of club or hosting tournaments or getting into a league, the mm -hmm. more, you know, you can actually deliver actual real games. That's, that's how you bring your players on. That's how you generate yeah. the interest. And I think that is a, a, a big part of player retention. Absolutely. And Ryan, but Kim touched on a point there about playing teams of differing levels. How important is it that the girls experience playing a team that's a little bit more experienced where potentially they're coming off the pitch having lost the game how important is that for them to to learn and grow and, and develop as a team um it we i think it, it's part of every sport um i um as i'm sure everyone else on this call whether it's been in rugby or not i've gone uh, seasons <laughs> um with with a school team or, or a club team where we we really you know we learn a lot of lessons but we could appreciate um the other team at what level they are um and learn from them and you know decide if that's where we want to be um i think um some of what kim had just touched on actually um was during this development stage it it is good for us to um, identify it's not a hundred percent the level of the team we're playing against it's sometimes identifying the this club ethos of the other club um, mm -hmm. if they understand what level we're at and what level they are and um, 
it is a little bit cliche, but the reality is I think everyone who's on this call and um, and many others, we, we essentially are looking for people to enjoy rugby. Um, mm -hmm. And and there, there are uh, some others that we, we would all love to win, um, but there are some others that outright want to win. And um, that that's brilliant. But sometimes it, it's it's not going to be the right place in development. So so there probably would be some teams we might hesitate in in um, creating a fixture with and leave that later on till we are in a really established league and and we have yeah. to we have to actually play them to try and win. But we in in the scenario where we've got um, fixtures or training fixtures with both Mitchum and Carshalton and Camberley. We're all able to adapt those fixtures to what both teams and every player needs from it. What you know, what are we going to get out of it? Um, mm -hmm. At this stage, no one's going to get anything out of a sixty-nil win. Um, <laughs> there's no benefit to anyone. Um, once you're once you are in a league, um, those days will happen. And you will you will learn learn from them then, uh, yeah. but maybe not not right now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So with with all that that being said, and and obviously getting into a league, etc. Ed, what does the future look like for MNC and the women's team? Oh, good question. Um, so we we will continue to grow numbers. Uh, I don't doubt that. Now I think we're on the right trajectory um and i would say that come 2022 20, 23 which uh -huh. suddenly is really close um <laughs> cry yeah. crikey, crikey I, who would have thought it um we will be looking to to enter them into a, a full competition um I, I think the biggest thing for us at the moment is just we have such a massive um breadth of capability i mean uh -huh. we, we've got players like i said we've been playing all the lives and players who have literally picked up a ball for the first time at the club three weeks ago mm -hmm. so we're, we need we need to keep all of them interested and content with what we're doing uh, and start as like, like him said you know the product essentially has got to be rugby matches um we need we need to we need to put those on uh, we need to put them at the right level but uh, but i think we will go from strength to strength um we started Project 100 players at the club uh, 16 months ago when we had nine registered, mm -hmm. uh, and we're we're almost there. So, for me, I, I love to see 50 women out there training on Monday nights, and yep. that's the plan. We'll stick to it. I'm sure you will and Kim is that that's a very sort of similar plan for Cambly it's just purely growth yeah oh absolutely I mean we kicked off uh this this season is our third third fourth season I can't remember if it's all mm. merging now but we're, we're just coming into our third fourth season 20 um I think we're ready to put actually step into a league structure um, that actually bodes well with our kind of our, our plan for women's rugby and we've also kind of almost come full circle we've got the numbers and the coaches to now actually facilitate non-contact um, mm -hmm. rugby as well as obviously committing and developing um, our you know our competitive element 
through contact mm-hmm. rugby. Um, so that's, um, you know, that for us in our women's section, I kind of think, you know, that's where we are. And it's a case of, you know, just making that happen over the next two seasons. And and what about Beck? What does this thing look like for the Bells? Um, so plans, plans over the next season would be uh, retention. So we, we want to re- really try and have a high player retention, and it, and it will be new for us to um, uh, to even identify what that looks like, what what um, what doing well is, um, and then at the first season to um, to establish ourselves in that league. Um, I think the the number one aim is obviously. Uh, you know, no cry-offs. You know, to to make sure we can, you know, we fulfil. We're confident we will fulfil the the season's fixtures. Um, that would be the number one goal, um, and and then probably the the third goal is we to to identify that we've actually got some players we can already see um, that maybe uh, we need to develop them and probably speak to some other clubs mm-hmm. that um they might need to go on to or you know whether they spend time developing with them and you know pop back to us or you know we you know a tear in our eyes say goodbye to them and on to better things um but i i think we need to be uh, uh, we certainly need to be aware of that that there are some some players um that will need to go on because we, we are a development team uh, yeah. and we will get those um variations in training Brilliant. And and rounding off the podcast, I'm conscious we've been on here for quite some time. I'm going to come to the extremely important question, which is your grassroots rugby hero. And that can be anyone from your mum or your dad taking you to every game or even someone at the club that you just think needs to have their their name spoken just to to get some credit. So I'll hand it over to Ed first, your grassroots rugby hero. Um, I'm going to get ribbed and taken apart for this. Uh, I'm not going to nominate myself. Um, <laughs> um, f- for me, oh. uh, yeah. <laughs> me, um, I, I don't think I've ever come across anyone in, in my time in sport, even since a young young boy, that has has sacrificed um, so much. And it's actually uh, our current chairman, Keir Waller. He became chair of our club. I think he was about 25 years old. He wow. didn't. Want do it um i think people give me some plaudits for kind of developing the club but i found him giving it life support and without him none of us would be here today no women's rugby no men's rugby the gates would be locked um he didn't want to do it it's absolutely thankless and he's he's just kept the rugby club in the community alive and i i can't can't thank him enough for what he's done um, and uh, whenever he steps down, he'll probably step down before he's 30, which is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> enormous, enormous plaudits to him and what he's done for the community and the club. Brilliant. And Kim? Um, I've been going to shout out from my club, one of my fellow coaches, Debbie Hayden. Um, we, uh, we played together back in the day, uh, back in the 90s. Um, Side by side, we kicked off the original Cavalry girls' side. She went on to bigger and better things, rugby-wise. Rugby uh, she went and played at Guildford for many years. And um, 
actually she's just a complete legend when it comes to women's rugby she was forced to put hang her boots up um <laughs> uh, over just over a season and and because of that she's back at our club and has stepped into a coaching role so we've kind of come full circle as a coaching pair but she is somebody that is just been totally committed to women's rugby. She's a huge inspiration to so many adult girls that are now adult players, a couple of which are actually playing at international level, um, as well as inspiring girls to just stay in rugby, refereeing, and as I say, coming back and, and delivering her knowledge and her passion um, back in once again to the next generation. So Debbie Hayden, Cabinet Rugby Club, the Cabinet Cocktails legend. That's my name. <laughs> and Ryan? Um, so I, I would have, I'd have to say actually that the head coach of Beck Old Boys. So uh, Tom, Tom is probably younger than about thirty percent of the people on the training pitch, and he's you know he's taken on that role of head coach of the entire club, um, and. Then, as we were developing the Bell side, um, I don't think any of us expected the amount of commitment that we got from Tom. There was no expectation from him. He, you know, we we totally expected him to concentrate on his thing. Um, but I, I think he, I can't really remember him missing a session. Mm -hmm. he's, he's been there first. He's he's turned. Uh, me and him at points have turned into near enough like bush mechanics with um, diesel trying to get these lights going. He's always there first. He opens up um, mm -hmm. and, and he's given so much to to the bell side. So, yeah, well done, Tom. Yeah, it, it's always good to hear about these people because they're such an important part of the clubs and they're, they're, they're definitely sort of the the heart of every club. That, and sometimes we, we forget to say thank you. Um, Thank you guys for being on the pod today. It's been an absolute pleasure having a chat with you about all things new club and developing. Um, and I wish you all the best growing your teams. And I'm sure I'll see many of you on the pitch in the next couple of months. Um, but thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Fabulous. Thanks, Lucy.